Hey, it's Scott, and guess what? You're about to hear an ad, and that's both good and bad. It's good because ads are what make it possible for me to keep bringing you these episodes, and it's bad because, well, maybe you don't like listening to ads, and I get that. And the good news is, you don't have to. When you sign up to support the show, you get every single episode without any ads. Plus, you get all the bonus episodes. Yeah, did you know there are actually bonus episodes? And you can try it all for free just to see what it's like. If you're on an iPhone, just go to the What Was That Like podcast and at the top, click on Try Free and you're in. On Android, just go to whatwasthatlike.com slash plus and try it out completely free. Once you've had the ad-free experience, you'll see why hundreds of other listeners are already doing it. But for now, here's another ad and then on with today's episode. Have you ever wondered why we call French fries French fries? Or why something is the greatest thing since sliced bread? There are answers to those questions. Everything Everywhere Daily is a podcast for curious people who want to learn more about the world around them. Every day, you'll learn something new about things you never knew you didn't know. Subjects include history, science, geography, mathematics, and culture. If you're a curious person and want to learn more about the world you live in, just subscribe to Everything Everywhere Daily wherever you cast your pod. I'll confess, sometimes I let my podcast playlist get out of hand and I get way behind. But there's one show that I subscribe to and any new episode goes right to the top of the queue. That's the Jordan Harbinger Show. That's because I never have to figure out, okay, is this one going to be interesting or do I wait for the next one like I do for some shows? Because Jordan's conversations are always a must listen for me. He talks to fascinating people from any category you can think of. Authors, scientists, athletes, you name it. He's talked to undercover cops who posed as mafia and the actual career mafia hitmen. And the stories he gets out of these people, just incredible. In one episode, he talked to Paul Holes. You might know that name if you're into true crime. He's the former investigator who uses really advanced methods to solve cold cases, including the Golden State Killer. And another one I really enjoyed was with Sam Harris, an author and neuroscientist who promotes skepticism, and he doesn't mind taking on some seriously controversial topics like politics or religion. That one's going to make you think. Whenever a new episode of The Jordan Harbinger Show pops up, I already know it's going to be an episode that I'll enjoy listening to, and I'll bet you will too. For some episode recommendations, check out jordanharbinger.com start. Or search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. What Was That Like? contains adult language and content and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. I don't remember exactly how that conversation came about, but I do know that I started texting people and saying, Hey, remember how we always joked about this? What, what, what would you all think about if we tried it out? And much to my surprise, I had a, a reasonable turnaround. Uh, of People are all like, yep, let's do it. Welcome to What Was That Like? I'm your host, Scott Johnson. This is a show where we talk to regular people, people just like you or just like me, 
who have found themselves in an extremely unusual situation. We'll hear their stories and get inside their head because we all want to know, what was that like? More information about each episode at whatwasthatlike.com. Here we go. Today's conversation is one I've been looking forward to ever since I first came across the story. As you might know, I've said in the past that one of my goals for this show is to never be boring, and today's topic fits in perfectly with that goal. My guest's name is Shiny, not his real name, of course. Shiny was presented with a rare situation. Some might even call it an opportunity. How would you respond if you were given the opportunity to actually eat meat that came from a human being? For most people, the reaction would be, absolutely not. That's disgusting. But what if it could be done in a way that was legal and ethical? And in addition, what if it were done in a way that was healthy, so you wouldn't have to worry about disease or infection or any of that? Well, honestly, for most people, I think the reaction would still be, no way. But Shiny is not like most people. He and a bunch of his friends are pretty open-minded, and they seem to be willing to try just about anything. And they did. Usually when you hear stories about cannibalism, it involves a serial killer like Jeffrey Dahmer, or it might be about a group of people who are stranded somewhere for an extended period of time, and they end up eating the weakest in the group just to be able to stay alive. Shiny's story does not involve murder or survival. It's really just a story about a brunch that none of them will ever forget. We'll definitely be talking about this one over in the Facebook group, and you're welcome to join us there at whatwasthatlike.com slash Facebook. And if you like this kind of story, or maybe you even like the True Crime Podcasts, hang around and after today's conversation, we'll hear from my friend Justin about his podcast. Might be one you want to check out. And now, please enjoy my rather unusual conversation with Shiny. I have so many questions about this. Fantastic. And I, and I hope that the people listening to this aren't thinking of a particular question that they're really hoping I'm going to ask and I forget to ask it because uh, I've kind of made some notes here ahead of time. But we should say up front that in in doing this, you, your wish is to remain anonymous. And I think people will understand that once we get into what the story is about. And I'm going to be referring to you as a nickname, Shiny, at your request. I do appreciate that, Scott. Sure. And, uh, and of course, we're not going to, there were some friends involved with this whole thing and we're not going to identify them in any way or, and there's going to be no pictures of you or your friends on the website. This is, it's kind of a different, uh, a different episode than what I usually do. I mean, I, I like to say that this podcast <laughs> is, uh, never boring and boy, we are, uh, we're knocking it out of the park today, I think with this one. So, you and your friends had actually talked about doing something in the past, right? How did this come up in the past? I have a very uh, close set of friends who all have a very dark sense of humor. And back in the day, and this is probably 13 years ago now, we were all sitting around one night and saying, okay, well, we're all Epicurious people. We like to eat weird stuff and try different things and, you know, just try out everything in life. And, and so... If it were ethical, so 
healthy, uh, full consent given, uh, no one was harmed, would you try some people? Try some little people meat, maybe some people jerky, you know, just to try it out. Just to say you try it, to understand it, just just to try it. And, of course, we all said, oh, yes, I'd, I'd do that. Of course I would. You know, it'd be weird and whatnot, but to try it out, absolutely. Sure. It's it's easy to say you'd try it when you're really pretty sure that opportunity is never going to come up. I mean, what's the likelihood, right? Right. And just to be clear what we're talking about here, when you say people jerky, we're, we're talking about actual human flesh. Yes. Okay. We're, we're talking about uh, cannibalism in a non-like killy way. Can you just elaborate a little bit? What do you feel when you, you talk about two criteria, ethical and healthy? Can you elaborate on each of these as to how, what, how it would meet those requirements? So basically you want something that's not diseased tissue. You don't want rotten meat or something that's gone gangrenous or something like that. And you want it to be ethical. So nobody was harmed to, to take it and it, consent was given. You don't just want to take somebody's meat. That's not nice. And nobody was killed for it. So this is no Donner party or anything like that. It's just, uh, you know, circumstances allowed for a unique situation. And the question that comes to mind, too, is, is this actually legal? Sure. There's no laws against it. All laws surrounding cannibalism are, are, are typically uh, associated with killing people. There's no laws against it, except in Idaho and Alaska. So, so only two states have outlawed actual cannibalism. But yeah, but you're right. It's the, it's the surrounding circumstances where typically a person is killed before they get eaten. Yes. Yeah. And even for um, non-diseased tissue, are there any health concerns beyond that? You know, so we, we did some research before we did it, and uh, there, there's the prion disease that's much like uh, mad cow disease. And typically it's associated with uh, eating brain tissue, but it can come from eating any tissue whatsoever. And it's a very low likelihood of that. Also, I've done blood tests and everything like that. I was in the hospital and they did run all kinds of tests. I mean, I don't have any bloodborne diseases. I don't have any bacteriological infections. And before they chopped off the bottom part of my foot, they, they cleaned it up really well. And so when we got it back, we were kind of like dubious as to like, is this going to be okay? But yeah, no, no bad effects. This has been three years now. So you, you, it sounds like you, you really kind of did your homework on this, and so you were, you, you were going in with your eyes open, knowing what was going on. Okay, so you guys had joked about it in the past, but thinking, well, of course, we'll say that, but the opportunity, I'm sure, will never come up. But then you had a motorcycle accident. Yeah, can you kind of take us through that? Sure. It was a lovely Memorial Day afternoon up in the mountains. I was cruising around on my motorcycle, was headed back into town. And uh, there's a whole lot of little fishing holes along my little mountain route. And uh, as I was coming up, there was some opposing traffic that had stopped and had their blinker on to pull across the road into a fishing area. I had two cars up ahead of me and uh, about 100 yards. And the cars had stopped. Both those cars went by. 
And then uh, the car was still stopped. So I said to myself, all right, he sees me, he's waiting. And when I got about 10, 15 feet away, uh, he hit the gas, pulled right into my lane and hit the back of my motorcycle. I fishtailed, flipped, the, flipped it and flew into the woods. How did his, he was turning left in front of you as you approached him. Uh-huh. How is it that his car hit the back of your motorcycle? You'd already passed him mostly, and he just turned too soon? Pretty much. Okay. And and what it is, it was a kid. He was with his girlfriend on Memorial Day. They were out having a good time, and they were doing something in the car, and he wasn't paying attention. Mm. You know, looked up, hit the gas, and just found the back of my motorcycle. I'm sure that's a day he'll never forget either. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I too have hit somebody in the past and it wasn't necessarily my fault, but it was a a traumatizing experience and something that haunts me to this day. And, uh, no, you don't forget stuff like that. It's absolutely horrible. So you got thrown off the bike kind of into the woods. Yep. And, uh, when I went back to check it out after the fact, I mean, the trees are really close. So I'm pretty sure I hit my uh, foot on, uh, one of the trees flying through. But you, but you didn't know that immediately, though. Not immediately. What it was, I, I kind of sat up in, in the woods and looked around, and I take off my helmet. I just feel this intense burning on my leg, and I look down, and kind of my my shoe is just kind of dangling there, and I can see some bone and some meat, and I'm like, oh, that's bad, that's bad, and so I start screaming for help. And uh, a couple people come down, and this whole this whole section is somewhat fuzzy because I went into shock pretty quick. I do remember a, a woman coming down and putting a blanket on me, and then uh, a couple more women coming down. There was a woman and her young daughter, and her young daughter went up to the truck and brought back a tourniquet for me and tied off a tourniquet on my leg. Another woman. Because this is in the northern New Mexico, she came back and applied essential oils to my forehead without consent, mind you. She just started rubbing stuff on my face. And I, uh, in a not very nice way, asked her to leave. Because, you know, that's I, I have enough going on. I don't need, like, anything rubbed on my face. And that's not exactly a first aid procedure anyway. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, but for some people... That that that's just the the end all and beginning. So you know, right? I'm, I'm sure she had good intentions. She had great intentions. She just had absolutely no idea what she was doing. And uh, in my luck, you know, somebody there was a, a off duty MT that was close by that came down and helped out as well. Hmm. So it was about a so half. Obviously, half. somebody called nine one one, so the ambulance was on the way. I'm sure too. It was a heavily trafficked area. There was plenty of people around, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, it so it worked out. About a half hour there, loaded me into the ambulance, tried to clean out the the wound and gave me some morphine, which, you know, did absolutely nothing except make me slightly nauseous. They take me to uh, an area where they could get me on a helicopter and uh, airlift me out of there. And that was about uh, another half hour waiting there. Then on the helicopter, they said, we'd like to give you some uh, ketamine to help with the pain. Are you okay with that? And I was like, yeah, Sure. 
I don't remember the helicopter ride at all because I was uh, transcending time and space and contemplating my own existence, which I think kind of helped out in the whole experience because I was in pretty good spirits for the rest of the time. I don't know how many other people do this, but I like to plan my weekly meals. Maybe I'm just weird, but I like quick and easy. That's just one of the benefits you can get with Cook Unity. Go to cookunity.com slash what or enter code what before checkout to get 50% off your first week. One of the dishes I recently had was the Green Goddess Falafel Bowl. Oh, I loved it. The falafel was seasoned perfectly, and I love how crispy it is on the outside, but really moist on the inside. It's a signature dish of Enat Admoni. She's known around the world as a chef. You've probably seen her on TV. And her dishes are made right here in Florida, so I'm supporting local business, and I love that. And the convenience of Cook Unity is crazy. I mean, I've got podcast episodes to produce. I don't have time for cooking. These meals are delivered fully cooked. So when it's time to eat, I pick a meal based on my mood for that day. I heat it for a few minutes and enjoy. The menus are updated every week, so there's always something new to try. You can choose from over 350 meals based on your dietary needs or taste preferences, or go wild and have Cook Unity pick for you, because every meal is just amazing. Make the best meal plan ever with the convenience, chef-level quality, and endless variety of Cook Unity. Go to cookunity.com what, or enter code what before checkout for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using code what or going to cookunity.com slash what. Something I've been recently making a deliberate effort with is to read more. There are lots of books I want to read, and I try to read every day, even if it's just a few pages. That little bit each day adds up, and it can make a big difference. It's like taking care of your gut. Even though it's not big, it supports the health of your whole body. Seeds DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic benefits not just your gut and your heart, which aren't outwardly visible, but your skin too, which you can see. Every morning it's the same thing. Two capsules of Seed DSO-1. And sometimes I wonder, is it normal to feel this great? It helps support digestive health with optimal gut bacteria levels. And thankfully that's all backed up by science. And all the supporting data is on their website. If you're trying to avoid sugar, soy, peanuts, or gluten, you're good to go. And I was reading the literature and I thought, you had me at vegan, because it's that too. And if you have kids, DSO-1 is the first multi-strain symbiotic shown to be tolerable and health-promoting in a cohort of children aged 3 to 17. And you can use this promo code to give it a try. Trust your gut with Seeds DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash what and use code 25what to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash what, code 25what. Every town has a dark side. This is Andrew Fitzgerald from the Every Town Podcast, where every single week we dive into insane and mysterious true crime stories, most of which you've never heard of. Stories like the bizarre disappearance of Tyler Davis in Columbus, Ohio. A 29-year-old father trying to find his way back to his hotel when he disappeared and was never heard from again. And Elizabeth Shelf from Lugoff, South Carolina, who was abducted from her driveway by a madman and taken to his underground bunker in the woods. And we give you all the details you're interested in hearing about without any fluff or fillers, because ain't nobody got time for that. 
cover everything from psychopaths to poltergeists. So go check out the Everytown podcast because every town, no matter how nice it may seem, has a dark side. How long was the ride to the hospital? Probably about another half an hour from where I was. So I'd say it's probably an hour and a half from accident to hospital where I started being evaluated by the surgeons. And you were conscious at that time? I was conscious the entire time, just not necessarily cognizant just because of the, uh, the medications. But all my medical charts say I was in very good spirits. At what point did they determine uh, how to proceed with your foot? Well, you know, I have vague memories of doctors telling me, you know, you may lose the foot that as they were evaluating and taking x-rays, things like that. And they said, we can try to reestablish, you know, vascular pressure and try to get blood back in the foot and see what we can do. And I was like, you know, I'm kind of attached to it. Please uh, do what you can. Let's see how this works out. Just if you can save it, go try to save it. But again, this is vague recollections because I was heavily medicated. And in looking, I saw some of the pictures, one of the pictures of an x-ray of your foot, and it just looked like uh, just a pile of bone fragments, like there wasn't even a resemblance of skeletal structure there. No, it, it's all it's all bits and pieces. And it, I didn't understand until after, you know, a couple of days that uh, they started showing me the, the CAT scans and, and the x-rays that it's just bits and pieces in a, in a vaguely foot shape. It was just, it was completely macerated. So there was no hope for it then? No. What I was told was, uh, if you have this, you will be on pain medication and you'll, it'll never be weight-bearing. This will always be a burden as long as you have it. So was it a, it was a fairly easy decision? Not that it's easy, but the decision to amputate? I think I, I, I hung on to it for a couple of days and kind of pondered it about what time, I, what kind of life I wanted to leave. And uh, I had a guy come visit me who went through a similar experience. He uh, worked with the Amputee Coalition and does peer visits. And his story mirrored mine in some ways. He was uh, a military guy. He had an accident and basically pulverized his uh, foot as well. And for five years, he went through surgeries trying to fix it. I think he has something on the order of 30 plus surgeries. And it had been five years in a wheelchair and on pain medications, being addicted to them and living with his parents and being completely depressed and not having any sort of life. And then he said, you know what? Take it off. And within six months, he has a life again. He's up walking around. He's off the medications and everything's better. And listening to that kind of cemented it to where, I am not somebody to sit around. I'd go crazy. Just, I can't have an office job because I, I, I can't, I got to be up and moving around. That's just not the kind of life I want to lead. So it was kind of at that point, I was like, well, yeah, take it off. Let's figure it out. So they took it off and, and saved it for you. Did you ask them immediately that you wanted to tell them you wanted to keep it? Yes. And originally it wasn't to, to eat it. It was, I wanted to, taxidermy it or freeze dry it and have it as uh, a, like a doorstop. You know, it's mine. I'm not going to let it go. You know, honestly, a doorstop, that sounds almost as weird as eating it. It's <laughs> <laughs> been fantastic. But okay. So it, it is like $1,200 to freeze dry a foot. 
And that I couldn't afford that at the time. And I called around to like 13 taxidermists or my friends did rather. And nobody would take us seriously. And and in all all honesty, I don't know if they're allowed to handle human remains. That may have been part of it, but I couldn't find anybody anybody to do it. So I I figured I'm going to have it and I'm going to cremate it. That way, at least I have it with me. I know where it is. It's over on my desk right now in a little jar. Mm -hmm. So that was the original plan. It wasn't until after the surgery, after I'm home, that I started thinking about, well, if I get it back, like what if, what if the meat's still good? What if we could like try that out? I don't remember exactly how that conversation came about, but I do know that I started texting people and saying, hey, remember how we always joked about this? What, what, what would you all think about if we tried it out? And much to my surprise, I had... Uh, a reasonable turnaround uh, of people are all like, yep, let's do it. You you have a very unusual set of friends. You know, you go through life and you find people who accentuate your life. And, and you got to keep those people around. It's an effort, but you got to, you find good people and you keep them. But at that point, when you told them about it, did you already have it in your possession or was it still in the fridge? It, at the it, hospital. It's still in the fridge at the hospital. And so I didn't know what situation it would be like. I don't know if it was frozen. I don't know if it was refrigerated. I assumed it'd be pretty well taken care of because it's a hospital and, and the pathology department. But uh, I, had, I had no idea. So this was kind of, uh, well, we'll wait and see what happens. As a couple weeks went by and I went and picked it up, which is also weird because you go sit in a little chair, sign some forms. And then they just give you a foot in a bag. And the the forms were, I assume, releasing the hospital of liability or something like that? That's all it is. It's release forms saying, you understand this is biological waste, but it is yours and we respect that. And uh, we are not taking any part of what you're doing here. All right. Yeah. Because it is, I mean, it's a biohazard. There's certain, they even have very strict guidelines on how to dispose of that kind of thing anyway. Here they were handing it back to you. Yeah. So, you know, I had a foot in a bag and I put it in an ice chest and went home. Is that the point where you said, okay, guys, we're really going to do this? Yeah. The next morning, you know, we made a, we made a casting of it and went through the whole process. I went and I took a little uh, uh, chunk out of the next to the shin bone. Is this after, after everybody had already arrived? No, 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 no. This is. You know, a couple of days before. Okay. So I take some a chunk out of the shin bone, and then we try to do a foot casting, and that was just <laughs> a whole thing. What what is it? Can you describe? I'm not sure what is a foot casting. Well, they have uh, arts and crafts stuff where it's kind of a malleable material. It's almost like a gel, and it sets up, and so you can take a a cast of a, an odd oddly shaped structure to uh, pour plaster in and make a plaster cast. And so it was my friends all like trying to layer on this plastic material onto, you know, a severed foot to try to <laughs> get the, the, the shape out of it and let it dry for a little bit. And so 
That was a couple hours in the morning. And then we let it dry and poured some plaster in it. And then the rest of the foot in the afternoon, I went and took uh, and had it cremated. So that was the final goodbye to the, uh, at least most of the foot anyway. Yeah. And then we had uh, Saturday brunch a couple of days later. I gave uh, what was, I think it was about two to four ounces of uh, meat and sinew off the, the shin bone there. And I, I have a good friend who's a, a very capable chef. First experience for him too, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> that was a fun question of, uh, hey, man, would you be willing to, uh, to like, uh, cook up some, some of me? Uh, <laughs> and he said, let me think about this. And he came back and said, yep, I'm totally down to do this. Uh, I'm going to figure this out. And so he took it and I'm not, I can't remember exactly what he, uh, marinated it in, but it's something to soften it up because it's, uh, an area of the people where it, it's not going to be soft meat. It's going to be very sinewy, lots of tins and stuff like that. So he marinated it overnight and I show up to their house and with a, a bunch of other people and, you know, we have some pastries and there's some uh, fruit tarts and little stuff like that. And then he starts uh, grilling up this meat and made like, we called it foot tacos, but really it was like a, like a tostada with a little bit of fajita meat on it is basically what it was. What was the feeling or like the um, ambiance in the room? Was it kind of like, a little awkward because everybody knew what was about to happen or was it kind of a joking thing or how did, how did your friends feel? There was a lot of dark humor and joking going on just to ease the weirdness because it's super weird. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to cross that taboo. If ever you bring up cannibalism, it's always under uh, uh, dubious situations where either you have primitive cultures, you know, going and eating their enemies or, you know, their loved ones to keep them around. Or you have either serial killers who are fantastically not necessarily human in mindset. Or you have, like, tragedies like the Donner Party and stuff like that where people are surviving. Or, or that soccer team in the Andes. You never have fun cannibalism. <laughs> right. Two words you don't usually hear in the same sentence. I keep thinking of... A couple of scenes, like one, of course, is uh, Anthony Hopkins and Hannibal at the at the end of the movie. I'm having some friends over for dinner with some fava beans or something, whatever that line was. Yeah. And I'm picturing the scene from The Office where Michael Scott burned his foot on the Foreman grill. <laughs> <laughs> but it really, but it's, I mean, this is like the a textbook example of dark humor. There's so many potential jokes that would lend themselves well to this. So how many how many people were there total? Eleven. So there was enough that your your chef divided it up so that there was enough for pretty much everyone to just get a bite, right? Is that it's not it's like it's a meal? Pretty much a bite. He he made twelve little samples. Uh, one person had uh, seconds. Did did anyone once they found once they got to the point where it's okay? I'm wow, this is really going to happen. Did anyone actually decline? No, nobody declined. However, one friend got a chewy bit and bless her heart. You know, they chewed it for 
a while and said, you know, I'm so sorry. I had to spit you out. <laughs> I can't. I can't. <laughs> And of course, you, I'm sure you didn't take offense at that. <laughs> what was the actual cooking process? I mean, were there seasoning and, or, or how was it? Or is it just put in a, a, a pan and grilled on the stove? Uh, it was a pan on the stove. So it was the marinated meat. They chopped it up into little bits, put it on the stove, some salt and pepper, a little squeeze of lime sauteed it took it out sauteed some uh, peppers and onions put it all back together and then chopped it up finer with a little bit of a i think it was like a what was it chinchuri sauce there was some sort of little fancy green sauce there that went over the top of it so not overly seasoned to where you i mean obviously the point of this is to taste what the meat tastes like you didn't want to go overboard with the seasoning there, there wasn't a whole lot of seasoning. And that's to the credit of the chef. He knew exactly the right way to do it, even though without the experience, you extrapolate. So he, he, he knew what he was doing. But I don't think part of it was having the experience of like trying people. The other part of it, I think, was my friends coming together to help me uh, move forward through a, a tragic experience. This is a way to uh, kind of pull a bow on it and move on in a fitting way. Did it smell like regular meat when you were cooking it? Yeah. I mean... Of course, when you saute onions, they have a very distinctive smell, which smells really good. So that probably was was part of what contributed to the aroma. Uh, Yeah, but I mean, it's so... It's a very red meat, so it's kind of beefy. I, I liken it to like bison or elk where it's somewhat gamey, very uh, stringy and uh, very, very dark red. And how would you classify the, the actual taste of it? Very beefy, like bison or like a, like a gamey cow. I, I heard it. They call it uh what is it? A Papua New Guinea long pig. It's supposed, it's supposed to taste a lot like pork, but it's not like pork, like domesticated pork because uh, if you have like old world heritage pork from uh, older breeds of pigs, it's a really, really dark meat. The other white meat is, I think, just from breeding or something like that. Because pork meat, you know, it can be very, very dark. And so I'd liken it to like heritage pork somewhat. So the taste, that, I mean, that's one reason I'm sure people didn't, all of everybody didn't gag on it. It's just, it, kind of tasted like something they've had before just it i think i would imagine it's more of a mental thing knowing what you're it eating. is yeah because it doesn't taste bad it's a little bit chewy mind you but uh it didn't taste bad at all it tastes like a, a damn good fajita <laughs> so what was the conversation like while this was happening like during or after during it there was uh bad religious jokes Bad sexual jokes to the effect of, I don't know if, uh, again, you'll be inside 11 people at once again. And that was a pretty good joke. And there was a lot of awkward laughing. And we're all, you know, we're enjoying each other's company and whatnot and going through this. But uh, just the dark humor that came out was just perfect. I can see, like... 
like down the road, like, like into the distant future, this is something that kind of bonded this group of friends together. Like they've been through something that nobody else has been through. Yes. Two of the people that ate me were at my wedding last weekend is my best man. (laughs) Is this common knowledge among your other friends or it's not, Uh, I can't imagine it would just happen to come up in conversation at some point. No, it, it's common knowledge around the general group. And so there, there's some people I work with who know none of the parents know. And, and that's, you know, purely by design. They're not going to understand it. They're going to kind of freak out. I don't think, I don't think my siblings know. Hmm. And so it's mostly just uh, the friend group. They're in about and certain people peppered out throughout. There's some people, when I did the story on uh, Reddit, who recognized me and were like, is this you? I was like, yeah, it's me. So it's here and there. It's not a, a lot of people know me by name or anything like that. Mostly it's just on the internet, which, which is what makes it a, a reasonable thing to do because it, it's not this uh, big story that everybody knows me. It's like, oh, that's the cannibal guy. I'm only recognized, for the most part, the internet, and that's just by linking to my Reddit handle. Right. Yeah. So it, it's a perfect type of weird fame. You, you kind of made Reddit history, didn't you? Well, a little bit. <laughs> On the rare occasion that it, does, that it does come up, then you're telling someone the story in person. Mm-hmm. What What's the kind of, what's the reaction? There's the range of reactions that you get. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you the first date with my wife. We we chatted online for a little while, and she said, well, let's go meet. And we met up at a, a bar over by uh, where she lived. And one of her, she has, she has sets of first date questions that she would go through. And she said, well, what's the weirdest thing you ever ate? And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, man, the and, one question I was hoping you weren't going to ask. <laughs> <laughs> so... I said, well, you know, I don't know you that well yet, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold on to that. But I say the second weirdest thing is pig's ears. And she said, wait, 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 wait. Pig's ears is the second weirdest thing. You can't do that. No. I asked you, like, what was the weirdest thing? And I said, well, okay. So the weirdest thing I ever ate was a portion of my own amputated foot. And she kind of looked at me and said, you know, she asked for the background story and I told her and she kind of looked at me and said, you know, I don't know if I believe you, but okay. And about a week and a half later, my best man and his wife came down to visit and she met them. And then it kind of dawned on her like, oh no, wait, this happened. And so within two weeks... It was absolutely confirmed that this whole story took place in her mind. She still dated me. <laughs> now she married me. So that's a pretty good litmus test. You know, you tell somebody that you've done something like that and it's either no way I'm never going to see you again, or hmm, this is this guy's interesting enough that uh, he might be husband material. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Do you ride a motorcycle now? No, I'm not allowed. Not allowed by not allowed. Uh by by my mother. Uh, she went through a lot uh, through that whole experience. 
basically took care of me for about a month, you know, staying with me and helping me around the house and whatnot. And she said, I don't want to ever go through that experience again. So just wait until I'm dead till you get on one again. And she got a pretty good deal because she's pretty young and healthy. So I'll be waiting for a while. <laughs> you're going to be waiting for a while, but you are, you're, you're not, you don't have a fear of getting back on a motorcycle and riding. No motorcycles. is the best thing ever. So does that mean, do you now have a prosthetic for your leg? Yeah. Yes. And how's that worked out? Is it pretty comfortable or how did, what do you think? It's pretty fantastic. I think it's all about the fit and technology has come a long way. It's not like, uh, even back in the eighties, you know, it was kind of a static thing, but with the new technology that's come out, carbon fiber and the availability of it and new materials that have a lot of resistance and flex to them. It's fantastic. People don't know that I have a prosthetic unless I tell them because I have a completely normal gait. I get around just fine. Oh, so even even walking, you, people can't tell that you are you don't have any kind of a limp or anything? Huh? No. No, I do pretty darn well. And I'm, I'm lucky in that to where the way the surgery went and the fit and everything, I don't have any more uh, extenuating circumstances that will cause me pain outside of, you know, things going on with the actual prosthetic. So, yeah, I do pretty well. I get around, I go bicycle riding a bunch and I don't run, but I, I didn't run before, you know, when I had two feet. So it's, it's not something I'm missing out on typically, but going hiking, going swimming and whatever. I mean, I walk all day outside for my job. I work construction. And so it doesn't slow me down. Obviously, you are actually a real life cannibal now, right? Is that how you consider yourself or is there any, do you feel any kind of stigma attached to that at all? I mean, there's definitely a stigma attached to it and, and, and maybe more so to me because I am an auto cannibal. I mean, I ate my own, my own flesh. So there's definitely a stigma attached to it, but I don't think the stigma applies necessarily uh, globally, especially in this case, because it was the, it was ethical cannibalism. I consented to people eating. Everybody who ate me consented to eating me. Everybody knew what was going on. It wasn't like uh, those stories you hear from South America or the East, where it's like somebody was killing people and serving out street meat or anything like that. There, there was no malice involved in any of this process. It's interesting. You know, you and I were talking before I hit the record button, and I mentioned that I'm a vegan. And so, obviously, I would not be uh, eligible to partake in your little party. But then you brought up an interesting point that veganism means no animals were harmed. It really, I don't, I've never seen any, I've never seen any veganism information where it talks about cannibalism. Because uh, the concept of veganism is that you, you ethically can't put animals in servitude for your, your own, your own well-being. So you're not going to keep cows and sheep. And, and, and be milking them because without their consent, that is a form of slavery. And because they can't consent, you can't gain that, which I, you know, I totally understand. However, with people, you can consent, right? <laughs> yes, you can. And you did. Yeah. So I, I think technically it's vegan. However, I feel that many people will argue that fact. I can see them arguing it, but I'd want to hear the basis for the argument. I'm still not sure that I would do it myself, but I, I can definitely see 
I can definitely see uh, both sides of it. Well, you know, Scott, do you have any close friends who ride motorcycles? Because you never know. This opportunity may come up. Well, it may. <laughs> if, and there's another podcast episode for me. Right? <laughs> okay. One final question. Yeah. Y- you said that the accident and everything that happened after was the beginning of good things in your life. Can you elaborate on that? Well, I... I always have an easy life. Uh, grew up middle class, never struggled, ever. Never had thing that I had to overcome to gain, I would say, character. And so I just kind of had an easy life going through everything, through college, through jobs, kind of listless, just existing. And then I had this brush with death and kind of learned to appreciate everything that I had. And uh, I set some goals three years ago uh, in the hospital. It was, I wanted to find a, a partner to experience life with. I want to travel and I wanted to find a job to afford all that. So I left my sleepy little town, moved to a bigger city. I found my partner and I'm now I'm married. I have found a fantastic career where I'm still at the bottom of the pay scale, but making more money than I ever thought I'd ever make. and going to start to travel the world now. Everything has just kind of picked up. And I have found this uh, strength and resilience within myself to uh, keep pushing, enjoying, and appreciating life. I mean, a foot's a small price to pay for this much uh, personal growth. Yeah. Well, character is built through difficulty, not through going through easy times. Right. It sounds like you've really taken uh, advantage of this situation to to build a, a much better life, a more intentional life. I'd like to think so. You have to take what you can from any tragedy, learn what you can from it, and try to move on in any kind of healthy way, whether it be personal tragedy or death or getting laid off from a job, anything. You have to learn what you can and apply it going forward. Otherwise you succumb to society and just uh, being in a society. It's overwhelming. There's too many people. The way we've set things up is, is not conducive for a happy life. And so trying to eke out understanding and ways to work within it is absolutely necessary to find any happiness. Yeah, we don't have any control over what happens to us, but we do have complete control over how we react to it. That's kind of the exactly. way I look at it anyway. Yeah. I certainly appreciate you sharing the story. I have a feeling that this will be what people, at least so far, will can be considered the weirdest episode I've ever done. But hey, that's my point with this podcast is to never be boring. Well, fantastic. You've been a great help with that. I appreciate it. <laughs> I'm glad, man. This was fun. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you know about any other podcast episode where the guest tells the story of eating his own foot, please let me know because I think this is the only one. And before we head out the door, here's a word from Justin, the host of the popular true crime podcast, Obscura. This is Justin from Obscura, a true crime podcast. Do you like single host narrative driven true crime that isn't afraid to get graphic On Obscura, we paint a picture of the lives of the criminals and victims before telling a story of the crime and how it unfolded. 
Add atmospheric production and audio clips such as 911 calls, and you have an idea of what we're about. If that intrigues you, type Obscura True Crime into your favorite podcatcher. You can't miss our logo. And we'll see you by the fire. Thanks, Justin. If you're into true crime stories with all the gory details, Obscura might be just the thing you're looking for. I also want to let you know, if you're a podcaster, or actually if you're even just thinking about doing a podcast, you really should consider going to Podcast Movement, which is the biggest podcasting conference of the year. It's going to be in Orlando next month. That's August 13 to 16. I'll be there, so if you're going to be there, let me know so we can meet up. I've had some pretty good discussions in our private Facebook group recently. One of the things I asked the group is this. What other podcasts do you listen to besides this one? I'm thinking about doing some podcast promo trades with other shows, just like the one with Obscura today, and I want to make sure I target the shows that you guys like. Just another way to grab more listeners. And thanks again to those of you who support the show. If you'd like to be a patron and show your support for this show, you can do that at whatwasthatlike.com forward slash support for as little as a dollar a month. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you here on the next episode where we'll once again ask the question, what was that like?